The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Well, let's open the Word of God to Daniel. We are, have been doing this series in Daniel. I've so been enjoying it. Uh, whether you have or not is almost irrelevant to me because I'm being blessed just preparing it. So, uh, you know, I get into my office and I just prepare these messages and I think, wow, that really speaks to me. Principles of success. We've called this year the year of success. Why is that? Because we don't want you to fail. We want you to be successful. God doesn't want you to fail. God wants you to be successful. So let's, let's not let the world steal that word success and make it out to be a negative. You know, all they want is just, just to, to be greedy and want. Now, successful is the opposite of failing. Who wants to fail? Does anybody here want to fail? I don't want you to fail. I want you to be successful. And so Daniel is full of principles of success and Daniel chapter six. Oh, my goodness. Daniel in the lion's den. That's Daniel chapter 6. Just, just before I get into that, uh, a few years ago, um, we used to go to a conference that was called the 500 Plus Conference. And so it's all pastors from Australia that have a church of over 500 people would gather on a regular basis. A guy called Phil Baker used to run it. What's really sad is that Phil had a brain tumor and... Um, survived the brain tumor, but it's, uh, that's, it's left him impaired. And so that 500 plus conference no longer runs. But it was a really cutting edge conference. Basically, churches, large churches in Australia and New Zealand and other parts of the world were just the pastors that gather together and chat. Well, on this particular event, uh, rather than inviting a famous Christian speaker, they thought, what if we invite Philip Adams? to come and speak to the pastors. How many of you know who Philip Adams is? Philip Adams is probably one of Australia's most famous atheists. He's, um, I mean, you can listen to him on the ABC radio, national, late night, live. He does a weekly column for Australia, uh, for the Australian. He's, uh, he's considered one of Australia's top 100 living legends, but he's an atheist. And we thought, it would be a good thing to have an atheist. They're pastors. They can handle an atheist speaking to him. And so, uh, and so Philip Adams turns up to speak to a room full of pastors, and, he, and he's an atheist. So his opening line was just a classic. And so he comes up and he looks across the crowd of pastors, and his knees are trembling, and he says, I feel like a lion in a den of Daniels. <laughs> And then he spoke to us about why he um, didn't believe in God. And it was all to do with um, the pain of his early childhood. And, you know, I really believe that a lot of people stop believing in God because of the, uh, the stuff that happens in life that you just don't have answers for. You know, the stuff that happens, you know, a tragedy, a death. Something that um, you just can't explain. But somebody has told you that God's in control and God does it. Can I tell you God's in control, but, but we're also in control. And God's given us free will. And so a lot of stuff that happens on this planet is not God's doing. It's man's doing. It's what we choose to do. We can either choose to do good or we can choose to do bad. And what's sad to say is this, is that we could actually 
We have enough wealth on this planet to remove poverty from this planet. There's enough wealth. Can I just say it again? There's enough wealth on this planet so that not one child should go to bed hungry. If we just share it a little bit. Not even a lot, just a little bit. And so, so if a child goes hungry, is that God's fault or is it our fault? God's given us the resources, but if we're not sharing it, so is that God's fault or our fault? You know, you know it's, it's just an incredible thing that in your life, you can either be surrounded by people that do good to you or you can be surrounded by people that do bad to you. What's really sad is that when you interpret the stuff, the bad stuff that people do is God doing it. No, no. I'd rather interpret the good stuff that people do for me is God doing it. I'd, I'd rather interpret it that way. But anyway, that's another story. That's another message. I don't want to preach a different message than the one I've got prepared for you this morning. Okay, so are you ready to open up the Bible to, to um, Daniel chapter 6? Here it is. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. You say, what the heck is a satrap? Well, it's a leader. Okay, is that a better word, leader? 120 leaders to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors of whom Daniel was one. Okay, so you've got 120 leaders and three governors to rule over the empire that uh, Darius had just taken over from uh, Belshazzar. We saw that Belshazzar got killed last week. Last week, probably uh, happened maybe two and a half thousand years ago, but last week we spoke about it. And uh, so Darius is, um, has, has put Daniel over this. And verse 3 says this, Then Daniel distinguished himself. I want to talk about this in a little while. Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, let me just press pause there because this, this is, you've got to understand that Daniel was an exile. Daniel was a Jew and he's in this empire and he was actually an exile. But what they did, they stole him out of the land and then they transported him to Babylon and they stuck him in Babylon and basically he was the foreigner. Okay, and there's nothing politically correct in Babylon in those times, okay? So he was the wog, he was the dago, he was the speck, as they used to say to me when I was a kid growing up. So he was the stranger in this land. And so can you imagine there was a lot of angst about this foreigner even being considered to be the head honcho? So, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. So in other words, what they did is that they hired some private detectives to spy on Daniel, to see if they could find a skeleton in his closet, to see if they could find some sin in his life, something wrong. They, they hired people to spy on him. How many of you would like to have someone hired to spy on you to see if you've got any skeletons in your closet? They, they'll, they'll check your internet to see what sites you visited. You know, they'll put a camera to see what you're saying. They'll, they'll listen to your conversation. You say, what's the matter with that? The CIA already do. Ah, we won't go there. Okay. No, nah, we won't go there. Um, so to see... But they could find no charge or fault. Get hold of this. They could find no charge 
or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Come on, folks. That, that says something about the personality and character of Daniel. When they sent these spies to spy on him, private detectives to seek out, and, they, and, and the report came back, sorry, guys, w- there is not one speck of dirt on this guy. There is absolute, we can't find one thing that this guy does wrong. (laughs) Here's a question. How many of us, if we were scrutinized that deeply, that'd be the report. Okay, don't answer that one. Let's move on. Okay, what was that? Let's move on. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Wow, that says something about Daniel. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. And the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. In other words... They go to the king and they say, look, we can't find anything against Daniel, but we'll find it if there's something to do with his devotional life to God. We, what we've got to do is make a law to make it illegal for him to pray to God. So what we'll do is that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll uh, get, get the king and tell him how awesome and great he is and just to bring out a decree for 30 days that nobody can pray to any of their gods unless they're first run it past the king. So in other words, for 30 days, the only person that will be worshipped is the king. They knew that Daniel's law says, you shall worship the Lord thy God and only him will you worship. And so the king, you know, was, was not aware of this. And, um, and so what the king did, he signed off. Therefore, Darius signed the written decree. Get hold of this, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, okay, so you know the writing sign. You know now that it's against the law for you to pray to your God. What do you do? Well, you know, come on, let's, let's be honest. You don't know how the story goes, okay? You've never read this story. So here it is. A law's gone out. Only, you, you know, hey, it's illegal now to pray. So what, what would you do? Well, hey, come on, let's, let's be honest. A lot of us would sort of lock the doors, lock the windows and say, it might be illegal, but I'm still going to find my prayer closet. And I'll lock the doors, I'm going to find the prayer, and I'll be a secret Christian. Oh, come on, it's gone awfully quiet here. Just humor me a little bit. Humor me a little bit. You say, well, where are you going with this? Because this is what it says in verse 10. So when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, just to make sure, three times that day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Wow. What do you, what do you think of a guy that makes a stand like that? What, what do you think of a person that basically says, God first, God first every time? doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm making a stand. God first. Then those men assembled and found Daniel praying, making supplication before God. And they went before the king. And you know how the story goes. Verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. 
But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and the signets of his lord and purpose concerning Daniel might be charged. Then then what happens, the king is just pretty distressed about this because he passed the law, but he didn't think it was going to hurt Daniel. But because it was the law of the Medo-Persians that couldn't be changed, he had to go with it. But his attitude was, come on, Daniel, you are so passionate about your God, I believe that your God will deliver you. That's a a heathen king saying something about Daniel and his worship of the real God. Isn't that awesome? So verse... um, 19, and we'll finish the story. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Is there a voice going to come back? Daniel, are you still there? And so he's listening for, the, for something. Then Daniel said, Oh, King Lifford, can you imagine your heart skipping a beat when, you, when the next morning you go and you hear the voice resonating out of the den? Oh, King, live forever. My God sent his angel. Oh, come on. If there's one scripture that you need to underline in your Bible or highlight in your Bible or whatever you've got on your pads or electronically, just get a highlighter and scrub on your, on your board there. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found in him because he believed in his God. This this whole chapter is about making a stand. It's about making a stand. Come on. Are you one of those people that just fall for anything? Or are you one of those people that are making a stand? Because if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. Making a stand. There's sometimes in life when we're called to be people of such integrity that we're willing to make a stand. Who's ever heard of a lady called Rosa Parks? Some of you have, some of you haven't. It was 6 p.m. on Thursday, the 1st of December, 1955, when Rosa Parks boarded a bus in Montgomery, USA, after she'd finished work. Now, you've got to understand the deep south of America in those days, there was the white seats and the black seats in the bus. 75% of, pe- of black people would take the bus, only 25% of white people. So they had three rows, four rows at the front of the bus that was reserved for white people. These were the white people-only seats. Then behind those rows... There was the black people's seats. And so it was common knowledge by everybody and accepted practice and culture that if you were a black person, you would sit in a black seat, not a white seat. And so Rosa Parks boarded that bus that day and sat it and sat in her assigned seat. It was for the black people. But what happened as the bus went along, a lot more white people got on the bus than was anticipated that day. And so got to a point where 
white people, God forbid, were standing in the bus because they wouldn't dare venture the back of the bus where the black people sit. So the bus driver stops the bus, pulls over, and he starts ordering black people to stand up so that they could give their seats to the white people. Well, on this particular day, Rosa Parks had had enough and she decided that she wasn't going to stand. She took a stand by not standing. And it was that event where she got arrested that day because she wouldn't stand. She took a stand by not standing, but because she didn't stand, she got arrested. How awesome is that? She was standing on the inside, but sitting on the outside. They arrested her, and that was the beginning of what's called the civil rights movement. A new pastor had just come into town, um, just into Montgomery, pastoring Mount Zion Baptist Church, pastor by the name of Martin Luther King. And, um, And this whole thing with Rosa Parks so riled him up because he saw the injustice of it that he started to speak up and created a a huge raucous about this. And and so what the black people decided to do was to ban the bus company. And so uh, they then made a stand to say, you know what, we're not going to catch the bus. We're going to ban the bus. And some of them would walk 32 kilometres rather than catch the bus. Just about sent the bus company broke. And uh, rightly so. But it just started to catapult something. Just started to catapult something. And, uh, and today what we have is all of that uh, oppression and segregation has been literally removed because Rosa Parks, remember that name, made a stand by not standing. So this is what she said in autobiography. I, I love this. People always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired. But that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, though some people have an image of me being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. Come on, church. This whole thing is about making a stand for righteousness. Come on. This is about Daniel making a stand and then God standing up for him. Uh, what, what are you willing to make a stand for? There's three things I want to share with you today. Number one is standing out. Number two is standing tall. And number three is standing up. Are you ready for this? First thing that Daniel did, which were the principles of success that he was able to bring into his life that made him such a successful person, is that he stood out. In verse 3, it says, Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. It's interesting. I did a word study on the word distinguished. And that word distinguished literally means to glitter. He glittered. He shined. In other words, he stood out. There's something about Daniel that stood out. There's got to be something about our lives that stand out. God's called us to be a light on a hill. Not, not a light hidden under a basket, under a bushel, as the, uh, the old King James says, under a basket. There's something about our lives that's got to stand out. There's something about you that's got to stand out. So, so how do you stand out? That's the big question. How do you stand out? Well, let me give you two answers to this. Number one, 
the extra bit factor. So the extra bit will cause you to stand out. So, so watch this. So this is the line for everybody. So this is average. There it is, the line. I'm just drawing it with my hand. Can you see the line for average? So while you are on that line or below that line, then you just fit into the crowd. But all you've got to do to stand out is just add that extra bit. And by adding that extra bit, you'll stand out from the crowd. The extra bit. Everybody said the extra bit. Are you willing to do the extra bit? Because if you do the extra bit, you'll stand out. See, what Daniel did was the extra bit. All the others, they just followed the line. They just followed the course. They just followed what everybody else did. But Daniel did the extra bit. What's the extra bit that you need to do? What's the extra bit at work? So, so you're, you're in a job environment. You're in a business. And you've got all of your competitors on that same line. What can you do to give you that edge, the extra bit? Because the extra bit will cause you to shine out. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the first time that uh, Michael came into our church. Where are you, Michael? Right there on the second row. I mean, he stood out from the first Sunday that he came to our church. He stood out. Why is this? Because here he is, a visitor. And you've got to understand that Michael, is, you know, when he was working, was a very successful businessman. Literally oversaw millions and millions of dollars. He oversaw uh, businesses worth millions of dollars. But he comes into our church the first time. I'll never forget this because he found a broom and he just started sweeping the floor. Just started sweeping. And you know what? He, it was like a neon light was on him. There was just something that stood out about Michael. And I fell in love with Michael that day. And I've loved him ever since. Because he stood out. Just that extra bit. Just found a broom to do something. Come on. What can you do? Husbands, what can you do at home? That extra bit for your wife. Wife, what can you do at home? That extra bit for your husbands. What is it? What, what will add that extra bit? Now I can feel some nudging and someone saying, I can give you a list if you like. Huh? Wife the wife's already written it for you. The extra bit. Jesus talked about going the extra mile. The extra mile, the extra bit, the extra mile. That extra mile is going, you know, they ask you to do a mile. You do too. Can I just say to you that, that if, if you are the extra bit person, when tough time comes and they're sacking people, can I tell you below average, they're the first to go. Then of average, they're the next to go. But the extra bit people, they will fight to keep you. Because you'll shine, you'll be distinguished. There's something about you. The extra bit, come on, that's the extra bit factor. Second thing, to, to distinguish you, if you, if you want to stand out, it's the Holy Spirit factor. Everybody say the Holy Spirit factor. Oh, come on. You've got to welcome the Holy Spirit. You've, you've got to be people of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will make you attractive. The Holy Spirit will shine in and through you. There is something about your demeanor that when it's full of the Holy Spirit, it just shines. It just, it's so attractive. The Holy Spirit. I've got a whole series on this, folks. It's called The Advantage Factor. If you are not in a connect group, then you're missing 
out on the Holy Spirit factor, the advantage factor, and you need to get hold of it. You need to get hold of it. Talk to Sandra Brame on how to get involved in the Connect group so that you can stand out with the Holy Spirit factor. Do you know one of the greatest songs uh, of recent times, one of the greatest Christian songs of recent times that have just that has just impacted the world is a song called Oceans. How many of you heard the song called Oceans? Man, if you go on, on the internet, it's got, I don't know how many hits on YouTube. But a young lady called Taya Smith is the singer behind Oceans. And her voice is haunting. And the story behind Taya Smith singing Oceans was shared at, at the Hillsong Conference last year by Joel, Joel Houston, who's uh, overseeing the whole production of that album with Oceans. And, and they're thinking, who can we get to sing this song? And so they got this Bible school student called Taeus, Taya, Taya Smith. And, um, and, and, and Joel said, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're doing this song. Would, would you like to, to come? Well, she was living on the south side of Sydney. So for her to get there, this is the thing about uh, Taya Smith, was that she had to catch trains, she had to catch buses, and she had to ride a skateboard because there was such a long, long walk. But her whole attitude was, do you know what? I'm willing to put in the extra bit. I'm willing to just walk with the Holy Spirit. And so she got there, and when they recorded her voice, it was just haunting. It was... It was way beyond their wildest dreams. And that launched Taya Smith into a ministry that's touching the world because she was able to do the extra bit, anointed with the Holy Spirit. My goodness, if you can merge those two things together, the, the, the extra bit with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you will stand out, no question about it. Okay, so what was the second thing that Daniel did? He stood out, he stood tall. I love this. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Verse four, Ken, the scrutiny, the man was able to stand tall. Come on, folks, what a challenge for us to go through life, not with stooped shoulders, not with always checking behind our back to see who's looking, but to be able to walk tall, stand tall, because you live a life of integrity, because you live a life that when it's scrutinized, it will stand. Come on, that is awesome. That is absolutely awesome to be able to live a life that can bear scrutiny, a life that says, do you know what? I am committed to being faithful. I'm committed to telling the truth. I'm committed to walking integrity. I'm committed to that. I'm committed. So it doesn't matter what microscope is put over my life, I stand tall. How awesome is that? One of the things that I've really been... um, challenged about to challenge the men and and so you guys coming on Saturday I'm going to give you a little bit of of a preview uh, this morning and that is the whole thing with half truths because half truth is I I think just something that um, we have to address because get hold of this okay the Bible tells us that the devil is the father of lies And Jesus is truth. So Jesus said, I am the way. What's the next word? 
the truth and the life. And the Bible says the devil is the father of lies. So you've got the devil on this hand, he's lies. And you've got Jesus on this side, he's truth. So here's, here's the challenge for you. Whose side are you going to be on? The liar's side or the truth side? Well, that's what we say. But is that the way we live? Because so, so what's the definition of a lie and a truth? Here it is. The definition is the perception that people are left with. Is it a lie or is it a truth? And so the perception, is it a lie or is it a truth? So we've opened our mouth and we've created a perception. Is that perception a lie or is it a truth? Now, this is what the half-truth does. It deceives itself into thinking, I haven't told a lie. But what perception have you created? Well, that's what the other people have perceived, but I didn't tell a lie. See, that's even more damaging than the full lie because the half-truth is also half-lie. And because you think you've told the truth, you've actually doubly deceived yourself. At least when you tell a lie, you've deceived one person, but you haven't deceived yourself because you know you've told the lie. But when you've told a half-truth, it's a double deception because not only have you deceived the person to whom you've communicated, you've also deceived yourself into thinking I'm a truthful person when you're a liar. Is that strong enough? Or do you want me to back down a little bit? Huh? I can back down if you want me to, too, but I won't because I'm not telling you a half-truth. Perception is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this because business is full of half-truths. He said, but I can't get ahead in business if I don't gild the lily a little bit, if I can't just sort of twist it a little bit. Well, do you want the blessing of God or not? See, Daniel wanted the blessing of God. He understood that if he walked in integrity and he walked in truth, then he would get the advantage of the blessing of God. And can I just say to you that if you're in business, that to have the advantage of the blessing of God is a much better advantage than you getting involved in half-truths. And you know what? It'll bite you in the end. Because what people love is integrity. What people love is truth. What people love is when they scrutinize your presentation to found that you've told the truth and they'll back you up. I'm telling you, they'll come back to you every single time because I know when I do business, if someone's a little bit shonky or someone's very truthful, I'll always go to the guy that's truthful rather than the guy that's a little bit shonky. Can anybody say amen to that? Being faithful, being truthful. Being all of that is just so important. Let me, let me, my time's coming up. I've, got to, I got, I, I've really got to fly. So Daniel's three principles in chapter six. He stood out, he stood tall, and then principle number three, he stood up. I love this. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, he opened the windows, knelt on his knees and prayed. He stood up. <laughs> Don't, don't you find this just amazing? Don't you find that Daniel's integrity and commitment to prayer, to his devotional life, wasn't just a fake thing. It was a real thing. He, he realized that this was going to cost him his life. It could, could potentially cost him his life. 
And not just, I mean, how many of you think that a great way to die is being thrown into a den of lions? That's a great way to die. Boy, oh boy. If there's a great way to die, that's a top one, getting pulled apart by lions. His attitude was, no, my integrity is more important to me than the risk of being thrown into a den of lions. Can you, can you imagine what it takes to cross that line? You know, it's, it's really easy for me to say, yeah, I've got a devotional life, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's going to cost you now to have your devotional life. And so that's when we start to work out whether your devotional life is a preference or a principle. Because so often what happens is that we live life by preference rather than principle. And a preference is, well, you know what? It's pretty high up there. But, you know, well, hey, if something comes along that gives me a better offer, then my preference sort of goes a little bit below the preference line. You know, I mean, they're talking about throwing me in a den of lions. Come on, come on. I'll just go into my secret closet. Preference. How many people live by preference? You know, I prefer to go to church, but if a better offer comes, I'll stay at home or go to the whatever because it's a better offer. My preference is faithfulness, but hey, come on. She seduced me. She, she tempted me. Hey, come on here. There are too many people that live life by preference, and when you scrutinize them, or they'll talk about their preferences, but when you push them hard enough, has the, prince, has the preference become a principle where well, you're willing to die for it? Because it's a principle. You've drawn the line in the sand and you're not crossing it, not for love. We're going to throw you to the den of lions. Well, let me tell you, my devotional life for me is not a preference. It's a principle. It's a principle that I'm willing to die for. I'm willing to go to jail for. That's what happened with Rosa Parks. You want to throw me to jail? That's fine, but I'm not standing. Why? Because I went and sat in the black section. But now you're changing the rules. You're saying the black section is no longer the black section. Well, I'm just tired of this because it's unfair and it's unjust and I'm making a stand. Come on, it's time to make a stand. What is it that's such a strong principle in your life that you're willing to make a stand for? William Wilberforce made a stand saying slavery is wrong and I will not submit to it. I got to make a stand. I got to make a change. And he changed the laws in the United Kingdom regarding slavery. Nelson Mandela got up and he said, this apartheid thing in South Africa is wrong. I'm willing to go to jail. I'm going to make a stand, but we cannot accept this any longer. And he changed apartheid in South Africa. And today we applaud we call them heroes. William Wilberforce, what a hero. Nelson Mandela, what a hero. Mother Teresa, what a hero. Why? Because they were willing to make a stand. Because there were principles that were so strong in their lives that they said, I'm not backing down. What are the principles in your life that are so strong that you're willing to make a stand for? That's a challenge. What is it that you're willing to lay down your life for? What is it that you're willing to say? It doesn't matter what it costs me. It doesn't matter. You know, for me, the preaching of this word is so important that if laws come out stating that I can't preach this, I'm prepared to go to jail for it. I'm prepared to go to jail, but I'm not going to compromise on the preaching of this book. Why is that? Because for me, it's a principle. 
You know, so many people over the years have changed. Oh, well, come on. Let's, let's find reason to change what the Word of God says so that we can flow with the politically correct people. Hey, you're going to come to this church. You're going to get the Word of God as it is, 100%, not watered down. It's the way that it is. And you know what? If they don't like it out there, the political correct paparazzi don't like about it, they can come and arrest me, take me to jail, but I'll make a stand for the Word of God because that's where my principles lie. Can anybody say amen to that? <clears throat> and you know what I love about this story? Let me tell you, because I'm going to finish. My time is up. What i got to finish is that when you make a stand for God, God makes a stand for you. <laughs> can, can, can you get this? Have you seen this in the book of Daniel? When you honor God, he honors you. Uh-huh. When you build God's house, he builds your house. Right, right, right through the book of Daniel is this, these principles, is that what you do for God, God will do for you. And here it is, you make a stand for God, he'll make a stand for you. And so when he was thrown into the den of lions, what happened? God said his angel made a stand for him. I just love that. And I want to finish this morning just by bringing it down, Steve, if you can come up, just by bringing it down to the gospel. Because in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, it summarizes this whole thing with the gospel. I love this. Matthew 10, 32. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. You know what this means? It means that it's time for us to make a stand for Jesus. If we want him to make a stand for us. You know what the next verse says? Because the next verse is even more damning. It says this, But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So here's your challenge. You confess him, He'll confess you. You deny him, he'll deny you. So what does that mean? That means, okay, we're in heaven. We're before the judgment seat. Stand before the judge. You say, John, this is too scary. Get back to the positive stuff. No, this is all part of the deal, folks. See, I've got to give an account to be your pastor. Give an account to tell you the whole truth, not just a little bit of the truth. So here's the truth. One day you're going to stand before God and it will be judgment day where you're going to have to give an account. And so you stand before the judge. It's you and the judge and the judge of the universe knows it all. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. He knows it all. So put you on planet earth. It was a test for eternity. How did you go with that? Whoa, you know, I worked and I did this and I did that. Hey, I gave you the gospel. I gave you the message of salvation. What did you do with that? Well, you know, Christmas, Easter, I went to church. I tried to do the right thing. Did you confess Christ before men? Well, you know, it was hard. They, you know, they pushed. They, you know, they would, real, they would belittle me. So you, you didn't confess Christ before men. See, can I just say that when that comes to me, what will happen is that Jesus will come out from the sides and will say, Hey, Father, John Giuliano confessed me before men. I can testify on his behalf. I don't have to defend myself because Jesus will step forward and defend me because I confessed him. 
Can I ask you this question? Will Jesus step out and defend you because you've confessed him before men? Will Jesus step out and say, that person, they confessed me. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They were not ashamed of my name. They were, wherever they went, they lifted up my name. And today I lift up their name before you, Father. Enter into the kingdom of God. For such is the kingdom. Come on. It's your choice. Why, why would you want to confess the things of this world when you can confess Jesus? Why would you want to pursue the things of this world when you can pursue Jesus? He will do you no harm. He will only do you good. When Jesus comes into your life, he forgives you of your sins. He gives you a hope. He gives you a future. He gives you destiny. He gives you faith. He gives you everything that you need to do life as a champion. Why would you marginalize Jesus when you can put him front and center. Make a stand for him. He'll make a stand for you. Come on. This is your day to work out where you stand. And if where you stand today is away from God, I'm going to invite you to make a stand, to stand for Jesus. And you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to, I'm not going to make it easy for you. I'm going to make it tough for you. If you're away from God, but today you want to make a stand for Jesus, I want you to stand to your feet right now. If you're away from God, but you want to make a stand for Jesus, I want you to stand to your feet. Right Thanks now. for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.